0: Welcome to this edition of the Manufacturing Experts. In this episode, we discuss what are beam saws and how can they improve manufacturing productivity. A beam saw is not a typical machine for home use. It's designed and built to handle heavy-duty cutting operations like those found in manufacturing plants. Unlike a bandsaw or a radial arm saw, a beam saw has a carriage that is supported at both ends – resulting in a faster and more accurate cutting operation. These saws offer improved productivity for operations cutting raw materials at a high rate. They're designed to cut multiple pieces of material at the same time while maintaining high precision and accurate cuts. To help us understand how beam saws work and how it improves productivity and workflow in the manufacturing environment, we will be speaking with Dave Brown, a customer service representative of the original saw company who are the only manufacturers of beam saws made in the united states on this episode of the manufacturing experts with me is dave brown customer service at the original saw company welcome dave to the podcast how are you doing today good thanks for having me glad to have you dave We want to talk about beam saws today. So I think the best place to start is, what is a beam saw? And how is it different from other types of saws?
1: Uh, A beam saw is just a much larger platform than our other radial arm saws that we produce. So it's for customers looking to cut sheet goods and um, thicker, thicker panel materials, I guess, that our normal radial arm saws wouldn't cover.
0: Walk through how does a beam saw work?
1: Okay. So a beam saw, it's similar to the radial arm saw, but it's supported at both ends of the beam. And um, what's different about it, the radial arm saw, you could swing the arm and you could do some miter cutting. On the beam saw, it's a strictly straight cross cut. The carriage is going to travel from one end to the other and then return it home. Um, We can do those manually with a hand crank, or you can make them a semi-automatic platform with a power cross feed on. Talk about what what a power
0: cross feed is.
1: So a power crossfeed takes the manual operation from your operator to having to hand crank. Uh-huh. And you're going to set a feed rate, put a limit switch, how far you want the saw to travel. You press a button. It's going to come out and cut and re- return to the home position after it's made that cut.
0: Oh, wow. So that's going to be really, that's going to add a lot more to accuracy and consistency too, it sounds like. Yep,
1: And your operators are going to love you for it.
0: While we're on that. Let's talk about some of the features that a beam saw has, you know, that would be uniquely different than other other types of saws or maybe some features that that kind of make it stand out.
1: Okay. So the biggest thing about them is the capacity. On a radial arm saw or even uh, like sliding table saws, you're limited to how much um, length of travel you're going to get for a cut. On the beam saw, we can get a 61 at the three-quarter inch depth. You can get a 61-inch cross cut. So you could cut five-foot sheet goods. Right, and as far as, like, depth of cut, we can put it – so it's a a 7.5 horsepower motor that we put on them. You can run a small blade, like a 10-inch blade if you're doing really thin, like dado work, if you're Mm -hmm. trying to make, like, banding and some pallet boards. And then you could go up to our biggest saw, you put a a 22.5-inch blade, and then you can do an 8-inch depth of cut. Wow. Yeah, so, like, those – those insulated foam panels for doing roofing and wall building and stuff like that. It makes it really easy to process those sheets.
0: You know, that brings up kind of an interesting thing because, you know, I, I look at things from, from a, a homeowner's perspective, just doing things myself. Mm-hmm. But one of the things we wanted to bring, especially in the, in this talk, in this uh, podcast was all, how can this help a, somebody in as a carpenter or somebody that would be using it commercially? Like they have a small business, what benefits would a beam saw have? And I think you've already touched base on some of them, but talk about if I was a owner of a business that did carpentry work or did woodwork, how would this, you know, give me some of the applications. This would really benefit my organization.
1: Yeah. Just to go back a little bit. So this one probably wouldn't fall into the homeowner type saw. Um, This saw is going to be four foot wide and it's close to nine and a half foot long and it weighs about 1500 pounds. So it's going to go like into a manufacturing setting, Um, a a contractor, um, manufactured homes, have them for cutting those panels down. Um, It's going to speed up your production. Um, It's going to free up some some operator because you're not going to have to have multiple people handling one piece of goods. You got a bed big enough to support one sheet. One guy can load it, make the cut, and then unload it on the other side.
0: What should I be looking for? What's most important that I should be looking for? at to to make a decision to buy a beam saw
1: well number one what are you going to be cutting what's the thickness of the profile what's the length of the profile that's going to determine what size blade what type of electronics Uh, the next thing would be how much you're going to run it how many hours a day if it's just going to be a few cuts maybe a manual machine is going to be ideal for you you know you're not going to use it all the time in production where if you're going to be trying to use it in a production deal in assembly then you're going to want to speed up production. You're going to want to save some wear and tear on your operator. Then you're going to look for that power cross-feed, and you're going to get a lot of the labor away from you know a person doing it, I guess. So this can
0: really incre- increase productivity. If you're, if you're really using it, this is going to really be a productivity improvement and a time saver is what it's Yes,
1: saying. then you'd absolutely not want to do a manual machine. It's a one-to-one chain crank, so when you crank that lever, um, every time you crank it, the carriage is going to move two-and-a-half to three inches, I think it is. So if you're trying to cut 61 inches, you're going to be staying there cranking that thing quite a bit and then you crank it to return it home also. So if you're doing a lot of cutting, you definitely want to look at the power cross feed.
0: What are some of the questions you get from people that maybe they're new to this uh-huh. what do you what do you get from like your customers what do you hear about you know like do you ever hear things like you know why should I use it or you tell me you tell me what so, well what... number one people are wanting to know what it will cut. It's not, it's not so
1: much a matter of what the saw can do. It's what kind of blade you're going to put on there. The saw will really cut anything. We hand wind the motors here. Um, we build our own electrical panels. So it's more the cutting tool that you put on the saw as to what the limitations of what you're going to be able to cut. There's people cutting foam. There's people cutting hardwoods. And then you put a different blade and a mist coolant. And now we're cutting aluminum extrusions. Another blade and we're cutting mild steel. Um,
0: that the possibilities are, it's kind of endless with it. It all really depends on the tooling. So this really does have a wide range of material. I mean, I, I understand why it's not a homeowner's unit. This has a wide range of materials that, you know, a business could actually use. I mean, yeah. like aluminum extrusions and things like that. So you're you know, talking about siding and, and, and soffits and stuff like that, that kind you know, of material. You can put custom cutters on it and you could put
1: like a molding in something that's 60 inches long. Um, it, it it really is endless what the thing can do i mean there's um automotive manufacturers some of those guys have these saws they use them in their model shops cutting down model blocks um transmissions they're cutting off the tail sections on a transmission
0: casting um okay that i was not expecting that that's that's pretty heavy duty then
1: yeah it's 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 built for continuous duty multiple shifts a day you know you're going to want to shut it down for you know, PM and maintenance, cleaning up the tracks and ways, and making sure the roller head's still in adjustment, and then fire it right back up and right back into the next shift.
0: Why don't you talk about some of the? You know, obviously you have some. You, you mentioned that, you know you make you make all the equipment yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's the important thing is you know obviously you've you've designed this to work in that kind of an environment. Correct. You touch base about the motor and things that you've done on that that kind of stand out.
1: Yep. So we hand stack the laminations for the the motor stator, um, we hand wind them, we bake them and insulate them here to 450 degrees. Um, we, we have the rotors die cast. And now we used to do that all in house also, but we are having a hard time keeping up with the production list for how small of a die casting operation we run. But, um, so the rotors are die casted off offsite. They get brought in and we press the um, rotor shafts and we hand assemble the motors and test run them on a bench and then they get put into the production schedule. And a guy hand builds this saw right here in Britt. Um, we're our own electrical panel shop. So we build the electrical controls here. So we we use foundries that are local, close to, close to us within a couple hours of us. Um, there's a metal shop that we use about 30 miles away. The powder coaters, there's one that's 10 miles away, one that's 30 miles away. And then all those parts come in here and we hand assemble them.
0: Wow. I think... This is one thing I, I try to bring up in every one of the podcasts. You are truly a, a U.S. manufactured product.
1: Yeah, 99.9%. I can't say with 100%, you know, some of those small electrical things we get, it's hard to say where those are sourced from, but it's
0: as American-made as we can do it. But the reason I'm bringing that out is I, I really stress in a lot of the podcasts the importance of looking at American-made products. Yep. Uh, and you and you and you actually hit on it, right, when you just said – We use this company just 30 miles away. We use this company. People don't realize it's not just your staff and your employees and money that is going to these families. It's all these other people that you're using other U.S. resources. Yep. Fill those parts to bring them in. So it starts expounding as to more American workers that can be able to work with those kind of things.
1: Yep. And that's why we do it. I mean, there's some parts we could get cheaper somewhere else. Um, these are vendors that we know and trust and they're close to us we're loyal to them and they're loyal to us and it 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 really makes it a lot easier to do this job and stay up with their production schedule
0: when you can rely on your vendors what should i be looking for for what kind of a blade what kind of characteristics you bet different types of materials i'll and i'll just leave that you can explain that
1: you bet um so when you're cross-cutting lumber well number one on a radial arm saw type, which is the, the beam saw is another type of radial arm saw. So the motor is suspended over top of the product and it's cutting from the top side and set it down. So you want to use either a negative or I'm sorry, a zero or a negative hook blade. Otherwise, the blade will have a tendency to try to climb into the wood. So you don't you can't have too aggressive of a blade on there. Um, when you're cross cutting, you want fewer teeth with a larger clean out. And depending on the material, you might use an ATB, uh, alternating top bevel, grind on your teeth. Um, some people just have a wide carbide tip. It, it really just depends on the material. You get into cutting non-ferrous materials, and it's a different type of tooth grind. Um, the relief is a little bit narrower. You're not trying to remove as much material or build more heat in the blade. So um, cutting aluminum. You go to a non-ferrous blade and you miscool that, and it keeps the carbides cooler and get like a lot longer life out of your blades that way.
0: Let's talk about long life, and that that kind of goes into the next area is maintenance. Yep. Um this is I'm I'm big on that on, on everything I, I own. I'm very strong about preventative maintenance and things like that. Mm-hmm. Walk me through what would you recommend if somebody came in, it's the first time they bought a beam saw, and you want to make sure you know, I mean, you have a quality product you want to make sure it's lasts that way for years down the road. You How, do you, what do you tell people about maintenance? What should be maintenance and what should be the most important things you do and just make it a part of your routine?
1: You bet. Number one is getting it wired correctly. You got to have a supply wire and a breaker size large enough to fulfill the voltage and the amp current to the saw. Um, so, uh, it's hard to explain some of that, but, Sometimes it takes an electrical design degree to really understand it, but you got to have wire for the amount of feet that it's going to run to get to the machine, to get the the proper current there. If you starve that motor for power, that's when you run into problems with the motor. Um, number two is just keeping them clean, honestly. So it works just the opposite of what some people would think machinery should be. You want to oil everything and keep it lubricated, not on a wood cutting saw. You got to keep it clean. If it's oil that's going to collect more dust and you're going to get premature wear on either the arm or the bearing guides or the bearings themselves. So number one is just clean and dry rag, um, maybe some denatured alcohol or brake cleaner, and just keep the ways clean where the bearings slide. That's the number one thing.
0: Interesting. I, th- that I did not. That makes sense, though, because yeah. the oil is going to trap the the sawdust and and the yeah. material, the the removed material, and that.
1: And what happens is problems. Yep, the bearings are hardened. And those ways necessarily aren't so the bearings will wear out the ways that are machined into those arms prematurely and you know cost you a lot of money to replace that so the biggest thing is just keeping them clean and keeping them adjusted so you don't have slop in them keep the tension tight
0: on them well and that and if you're using it for a commercial uh, application it just makes sense because it's gonna not only you know it'll give you the productivity the life not just the life life expectancy of 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 the equipment but the quality of of the performance is going to be the tolerances that you're trying to hold. Correct. You don't make just one beam. saw. you make a variety, you make a range of beam saws. So maybe walk me through what each, you know, what are the differences and what would, why would somebody choose one over the other?
1: You bet. So actually they're all very similar. They're all in the same frame, the same column and posts, the same beam. Um, I would say that it looks like the same motor, but we do a single phase version. So if you don't have three phase power, you could do a five horsepower single phase, but the largest blade we could put on that would be a 16 inch blade. Anything bigger than that. It's just too much for the, the windings inside that motor. Um, so the main differences in them is just the guard, the size of the blade guard, where we put the fence when we're building the tabletop to keep the blade out of the material on startup. Um, but as far as the four four different models that we do, the only real difference on them is the blade guard itself and and the braking of the motor. You get to the biggest one, the and half inch Now that one don't have the electromechanical brake. It's just an electronic brake in that one.
0: What are voltage options?
1: Um, anything. That's, we'll, <laughs> we will wire them. We have a transformer here, so we wire and, and sell motors to the Middle East. That's 380 volt, 50 hertz. Um, our motors can run on 50 or 60 hertz, and we we wind them for 208 volt, um, 230 volt. Just depends depends on what you have. All you got to do is let us know what you have. Well, um, we sell into Canada, so 575, 600 volt power. We wind saws for that or motors for that also.
0: What percentage of people look at beam saws? And, and I'll ask your personal opinion. What percentage do you think? should be looking more at beam saws. Do you think it's something they're aware of it or do you think people don't see what a beam saw is capable of doing?
1: There's some limitations to a beam saw. So you can't miter with a beam saw is the number one thing. So a lot of times when people call in here, they're not looking to just do one process on one material. So the capacity is great on the beam saw, but you are limited on some of its capabilities as far as types of cuts that you can make. Um, We have looked at making it able to rip so you could bring that head out and pivot it and rip sheets down. But as of right now, we're not doing that. Right now, it's just strictly a cross cut. Um, You could tip the head and bevel. So if you're trying to make 45 on the edge of a panel for doing like wall construction, we can do that. But um, unless you come up with a way to fixture inside the table and pivot your part, you couldn't make mitered cuts on a sheet good right now with our beam saw.
0: But it sounds that if you do a lot of production, it's it's really good. If it's straight and flat, it's really really good because yeah. it's more designed for capacity, is what it sounds like.
1: Yep, exactly right. So that's why I always start the conversation when I talk to people about what are you looking to do with it. If you're looking for an all-in-one saw, um, trying to do multiple operations, probably going to lean you towards a beam or a radial arm saw, just because it can do a lot more functionality-wise. Um, but if you're processing large parts. A lot of the radial arm, the radial arm saw can't handle that. So if you're just cross cutting large sheet goods or or panels or um, a big fixture like cable tray, we cut a lot of cable tray on a beam saw for construction in a building where they're hanging the utility wires and sewer and you know underneath and tunnel systems. Um, a lot of those trays are wider than what our radial arm saw can handle, so they end up cutting them on a beam
0: saw. Do you notice any particular industry that buys beam saws more one over another, or is it, is it pretty much more application driven?
1: Um, if you had to pick one industry, it'd be either manufactured homes or uh prefab panel stuff like those insulated core panels. Those are probably the two largest industries, but um, like a bedliner manufacturer, they'll get that, that roll of sheet good and they'll cut those to lengths and they run through their injection molded to do that. So um, some okay. coil, some metal coil processors, um, anything wide. So I think the largest capacity on any radial arm saw right now is probably our thirty-two inches. That's the largest cross cut on a radial arm saw that I know of. Okay. So if you get past that, you're looking at a beam saw, or a different type of cutting solution.
0: So what are some of the later latest developments or innovations over the you know past twenty years in beam saws?
1: Um, number one would probably be the clamping systems that we that we do for them. Um, we offer just a horizontal clamping where it's going to push that material towards your fence and just hold it from sliding away from the fence. And then we go up to a six clamp system and we set them on, on a proportioning valve so they close in a cycle or open in a cycle. So you'd press the material towards the fence and then four would come from above and hold the material down so it's not fluttering. Um if you're trying to do real tight tolerance cuts, you want your material to be stable during the whole cut. You don't want it to move at all. So, clamping is probably the number one thing, holding the holding the parts down.
0: And to follow up on that, where do you see anything in the future going with beam saws? Anything you think coming down the road or any changes you think that you're going to see or
1: Yeah, um there's actually some more things we've been looking at doing in clamping to try to get it away from the um so instead of coming from over top and holding down, trying to develop a way to hold it from the bottom so you wouldn't limit your your height to cut. When you start adding that clamping, it gets in the way of the guarding and, and it's just a little bit cumbersome sometimes. So trying to kind of streamline the clamping system to to open,
0: free up the space above the work area. Are there any other innovations or things coming down, down the road that you see that are going to be the future for beam saws?
1: Yeah, so we're looking at... uh Uh, like a total enclosure for it Um, a lot of people want them fully automated once you do that the machine has to be enclosed so nobody could reach in there while it's in its cutting process so just enclosing it and um, a little bit better dust control out of it right now we put a dust shroud behind the blade as it's traveling to catch the chips off the bottom and then underneath the table we hook up four or five ports for dust collection to suck straight down from the tabletop but um, we're looking at and some other fine dust away from the fence, you know, while you're doing the cut.
0: Give us a little history about the beam saws that you make, you know, when, when did they start making them and and how have they changed over the years?
1: You bet. So in 94 was the first beam saw that was built here. Um, That was the type one. And that one ran through probably the early to mid 2000s when they switched to a A bolt together frame. They used to be a solid welded frame. It was super rigid and kind of cumbersome to handle that four foot by nine foot platform all in one piece. So now they're a bent and powder coated, and then we bolt it together frame.
0: One of the things that's impressed me as we've talked in, in this podcast is you're an American manufacturer, you know, you're American made products. And I'd like you to tell us a little bit about original Saw gives a little background on original saw and kind of like that this is what you really focus on you're not you know you don't make multiple different things you you focus really on cutting products
1: correct yeah so in 1990 alan's dad Robert bought the company and the rights um to the radial arm saw and we moved everything from Pennsylvania out here to Iowa um i think the first one rolled off the line in October when i say off the line i mean the floor here they get hand built on the frame here on the floor um and then, oh, I think it was probably mid two thousands is when Allen landed a contract with the one of the larger big box stores, and we're a fixture in there. So if you go to a lumber department in one of these big box stores, they have one of our saws for cross cutting lumber, um, and we take pride in, in being the American the the only American made radial arm saw that there is.
0: See, that I wasn't aware of that I didn't realize you are the only American made radio arm saw
1: yep that's correct we're the only ones left in america doing it
0: oh that's, and hats off to you because i again the part of the whole message of of this podcast is about american-made products and american businesses so i i salute you and and that's why i really like to, to like when people mention that because i think it's important because i think i'm one of those just my personal opinion we need to support you know our own businesses within our you know within our country Uh, if we're going to survive, especially with the, given the economic times we're in right now.
1: Yeah. And if you called our service line to look for recommendations, or if you're having a problem with equipment, you're going to talk to a human being when you
0: call in here, (laughs) that's Monday from 8 AM till 4 30 PM. I'd like you to talk about that as well, because I, I think that's something else people need to know is that I've been to your website, you know, you've got a lot of, a lot of information there, a lot of videos. Tell us about that, you know, how you support that. Like you said, you have customer service, you've got the yep. website.
1: Yep, we got a marketing team that helped design the website and get everything launched when we started selling direct. Um, it used to be strictly through distribution. Now we do a combination of distribution and direct sales. Um, but there's two of us that are customer service and sales representatives for the original saw company. Um it's 8 a.m. central till 4 30 p.m. and We try to help out with any bit of tech calls, any sales questions, you know, recommendations on what you're going to be doing. Um, Don't want to oversell you, but definitely don't want to undersell you either. We Make sure you get the right tool for the job.
0: We're going to put the link to your website in the show notes, but if you want to go ahead and say what your your website is, and if you have a phone number people can call, that'd be great too.
1: Yep, it's www.originalsaw.com and uh, the phone number is 641 eight four
0: three three eight six eight give us a call we'd love to talk to you and on that note i'm going to give you the last minute to kind of give me your your final thoughts and how you want to yeah it's a summarize everything you talked about
1: you bet it's a it's a family-owned company um the president and owner i mean his wife is our marketing director their kids come in here and help package and and put bolt kits together um His mom is my neighbor just down the street. It's a small-town company. There's, I think, 21 of us. It's actually two companies now. We bought another little woodworking machine. Um, We brought that company from New Hampshire out here to Iowa. So we're growing, um, but we still focus on what got us here, and that's the radial
0: arm saw right now. Dave, I, I can't thank you for not only answering our questions but giving us a lot of insights, not only into beam saws, but into your company as well. I, I think that's, that's really important. And I hope that people listening will take the opportunity to go to your website or to be able to call you if they have questions on something like that.
1: You bet. Anytime is my pleasure.
0: Great having you on the on the on the podcast. And thanks right. again. Yep. Thanks, Neil. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would ask you to subscribe to our channel or share this episode with a friend. We would also love to hear from you and your feedback and invite you to contact us via the email listed in the show notes.